Hey, and welcome to the Crosspoint Church Podcast. We are a church that is for the city in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada. We are passionate about helping people become fully devoted followers of Jesus. So if you're just joining us for the first time, we would love for you to check out our website, thecrosspointchurch.ca. There you can find ways to connect with us and see what's happening at Crosspoint. Now, let's listen to this week's Sunday message. So the title of this message is From Me to We, Looking at the Role of Community in the Transformed Life. Now for all of us, we are all on a journey of spiritual formation. I say this in not some religious abstract way, but something that's deeply intrinsic to being human. Dallas Willard, uh, author, he talks about it this way. He says, spiritual formation without any regard to any specific religious context or tradition is the process by which the human spirit or will is given a definite form or character. Regardless of who you are in this room, whether you consider yourself a follower of Jesus or you're exploring, we are all on a a journey of spiritual formation to have our character and heart shaped. And this happens through our environment, through our relationships. It's something that's conscious, but also unconscious. But it also makes us ask the question, how do we become people of admirable character? How do we become people that spread good in this world? But it also leads to a bigger question. How do we become people that actually see transformation within our world? Well, there's many different answers to this question. One would be that we could look towards political power or legislation, trying to get the right rules to fix this world. And though this is actually really good and really important, there is one issue. Uh, Philosopher James K.A. Smith says that codes don't make people care for their neighbors. In other words, codes are inadequate as a moral source precisely because they do not touch the dynamics of moral motivation. Laws do well to prevent harm and provide opportunity for good, but they are not the moral source for which we choose to do good. Second, maybe we might look to the idea of technology, that if we could just find the right piece of tech, or the right technique, we could see long-lasting change. But as we look at our world, there's many different amazing innovations that have made our world better. But it seems the one thing that we have failed to be able to innovate is the human heart and the human character. Maybe you think we could just turn to education. If we all just knew the right things, we could see lasting change. Now, I'm a person that enjoys education. In fact, I'm taking a master's and stretch it over six years just to make it last. (laughs) What is wrong with this person? (laughs) And so it's true that that positive spiritual formation always comes out of good teaching. But good teaching does not always produce positive spiritual formation. To illustrate this, Uh, I came across this story recently, which I feel helps set this up. And so there was this Sunday school teacher, not Crosspoint Kids, but somewhere else. And so she was teaching her her Sunday school class, you know, five or six-year-olds. And so she asked the class, she says, what does the Bible teach about lying? 
And so there's this one girl that was, she, right away, she lifted up her hand. She said, okay, Sally, what, what does the Bible teach about lying? And so Sally stands there, and she looks right at her. Lying is an abomination to the Lord and a very present help in times of trouble. <laughs> and maybe you can relate with little Sally, where you know the right answer. You know what we're supposed to do, but maybe you feel you, you lack the power to live that out. And this is something that I have found in my own life. As I've grown in knowledge of God, and I've seen the benefits and yet, I feel at times in my life that I've lacked the power to live the life that Jesus called me to live. And so this has really made me think, how does Jesus view spiritual transformation? How does Jesus see the world changing? And for that, I want us to look at the Apostle Paul as a case study. We're going to dive a little bit into his life, but also into his teaching. Paul was a person who experienced intense, positive transformation. He went from persecuting Christians to encountering the risen Christ to being one of the most influential evangelists and missionary in the world. That because of his life, this small Jewish sect became a global movement. And for Paul, it was about his life to Jesus. That for Paul, he saw that True transfer, transformation takes place through the renovation of the heart in the context of Christian community. Now this Sunday, as we've talked about, has been Child Dedication Sunday. And we've seen this uh, great practice within our church of parents dedicating to raise their kids in the ways of Jesus. But we also see that this, this is something that happens with the context of a spiritual family. And so this idea of parent-child relationship is something that's so central to the teachings of Paul. In fact, one of his most influential verses on spiritual formation is found in Galatians 4.19. And Paul says, My children, for whom I'm in anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. And so previously, I had a mentor who really wrestled through the idea of how do we approach discipleship? How do we approach spiritual transformation to Jesus? And his definition of discipleship was, or following Jesus, is an intentional relational journey, learning to place Jesus at the center of everyday life. That's intentional, that involves a choice to follow Jesus. And it actually involves learning, and there's struggle, and there's difficulty. But it's also relational. It's something that we do in relationship with God, but also with others. And it's this lifelong journey of learning. And we want to learn to put Jesus at the center of everyday life. Not just on Sundays, but to see Jesus transform our heart in every aspect of our lives. And so this is where we're going this morning with kind of the groundwork laid out. I encourage you to flip to your Bibles uh, to 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 14. And we're going to walk through some of the teaching of the Apostle Paul. And so Paul writes this letter to a church in Corinth. And this church has many different teachers and philosophers trying to influence them. And in the words of Pastor Amanda, this church is a hot mess. 
their life does not look anything like Jesus. They're falling into all kinds of sins, getting taken away from their intentional journey. And so Paul is writing this letter to this church in Corinth. And here is what he says in verse 14. I do not write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. I urge you then, be imitators of me. That is why I sent you Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach them everywhere in every church. And so the first point that, we're, that we see is we experience transformation when we move from being fans of Jesus to followers of Jesus. So if you are a fan of something, maybe it's a sports team, maybe it's a, a celebrity or business person that you admire, you usually admire them from a distance. That fans, they're not on the ice, they're in the stands, but they're, you know, they're invested in them, they care about them, but they often don't have a relationship with that team or that person personally. And for many of us, we can become fans of Jesus. We admire Jesus as a good teacher. We think that his teachings are good for the world, yet we've not entered into that relationship with Jesus, experienced that relational reality. And here is the invitation that Paul is talking about here. It's an invitation to move from a fan to admiring Jesus from afar, to become a follower and following him in every aspect of our lives. Now, to be a follower of Jesus involves two things. It involves information and imitation. Paul says, be an imitator of me. And later in the letter, he says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. And he calls them to follow the ways of Christ. And so this idea of the ways, uh, or the way of Christ, is the Greek word actually talks about, it can be literally talking about a way or a journey, but it's also something that was used to describe a philosophical view of life. Something that encompasses everything that you see. That he's called calls them to follow the way of Christ, the lifestyle of Christ. That churches are to be academies of life in the ways of Jesus. But we also see that it's teaching. He's talking about, I'm teaching you here what I teach other churches. So we see Paul invites them to information to learn what Jesus taught, but also imitation to do the things that Jesus did. And this is the similar pattern that we see that Jesus calls all of us to. In the Great Commission, in Matthew uh, 28, 19, Jesus says, Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Here's the, here's the kicker. He says, Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. So that's teaching, learning what Jesus taught, but not just information is actually teaching them to observe and live that lifestyle. So Paul is inviting him into this idea of a rabbi-disciple relationship. So a rabbi would be a teacher of the Jewish law, and they would take on students to follow them. And there's a great saying in the Mishnah, which is a collection of Jewish teachings, talking about this type of relationship. It says, let thy house be a meeting house for the wise, 
and powder thyself in the dust of their feet and drink their words with thirstiness. That a disciple was to be covered in the dust of the feet of their rabbi because they follow so closely to the ways in which they walk, but they're also dedicated to the words in which they speak. So as follower of Jesus, we want to dedicate ourselves to his teachings and his ways. And to help illustrate this, we're going to look at uh, if you wanted to be a professional NHL goalie. Now for me, I grew up as a goalie and I admired a lot of other NHL goalies. And so maybe you adopt the method of this kid who has a very intense attachment to a specific goalie. Let's play the, the video. As a young man who's more than the typical fan here in Calgary, he is a fanatic. This young man positions himself during the warm-up behind the Calgary net, and as Kiprasov warms up, this young man mimics his every move, and I mean every move, even to the point of drinking the water, he's got the beard painted on, and uh, Kipper is either going to have himself a huge fan or a stalker. <laughs> All right, I apologize for using a flame illustration. I know that might turn off some of us, but that one is for Shem. <laughs> but we see that, that, that kid, he has such a desire to be an NHL goalie. And he's, he's in the stands and he's admiring Kiprasov, trying to imitate every single thing that he does. But here's the thing, is that going to make him an NHL caliber goalie? It's a good start. He's got a good heart. He's clearly in it, but not necessarily. Now imagine this situation that Mika Kiprasov sees him and says, I actually want to bring you onto the team, that he brings him into his life, that he shows him this is what it looks like to be an NHL goalie. This is how you train you know, in the gym. This is how you eat. This is how, you know, your sleeping pattern. This is how you practice so that when you're in the game, you react automatically. And this is the way of Jesus, that as we, maybe we have the right desire and heart, but we're admiring from afar. Jesus invites us into a life with him. And this involves us learning what it looks like to follow Jesus, to reading the Bible you know, daily, to seeing what is Jesus teaching us? What are the things that he values? But also not just looking at the teaching of Jesus, the lifestyle that Jesus lived. How did Jesus live his life? We see that he, he goes away from people to spend time with the Father in prayer, that he had practices of prayer and he fasted. But we also see that he re-engages with his disciples, that he eats meals with people that were on the outskirts, that these were the ways of Jesus as our rabbi. And so we see the Apostle Paul says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. So how are you spending time learning from Jesus as your rabbi? But then also, how are we spending time in community? Who are the people that you are imitating as they draw you closer to Christ? Also, who are the people that you are inviting into your life? And this leads us to our second uh, point, which will come from the, the first couple verses that we read. Verse 14 Paul says, I do not write these things to make you ashamed, 
but to admonish you as beloved children. For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. And so we see throughout the language of Paul, there's this family language. My beloved children, I become your spiritual parent in the gospel. Family was very important for Paul. Now in the, in the ancient Near East, the idea of family was a little bit different than what we think about within our Western context. When we think of the idea of family, it's often just the nuclear family. But here in this context, family would have extended its borders. Family would have included parents, children, but also grandparents, aunts, uncles, slaves, free people. They would all be part of this household. And the household was very important because often they'd be in the same business together. And the family would be determining your social status. It was a source of identity and power for people. And we see Paul is calling us to become part of a new family. The scripture says that we are spiritual orphans. And because of Christ, we've been brought into a new family. That we could be people of completely different social and economical standards. And now we've been brought into a new family, the family of God, given this new identity and power in which we live out in community. This is the invitation of Paul. And so we see that Paul says, you have many guides in Christ, but few fathers. And so in this context, a guide, or it could be translated as a teacher or tutor, or what we might consider as a nanny, was someone who was potentially a slave, but they would be in charge of raising the kids. That as the kids grew up to the age of 12, this tutor would teach them you know, proper manners, would take them to school and back but the thing is, when the kids became, you know, of age, became 12, they would join their parents. And so in this patriarchal society, uh, the, the women would join their mothers, learning what it looks like to run their household. And the boys would join their fathers, working shoulder to shoulder in the family business. And so for myself, uh, I have a little bit of experience with this. Growing up, my uh, parents, they would build and then sell houses. So every summer... I was my dad's cheap hired labor, getting to work shoulder to shoulder with him, building these houses, usually just actually carrying a broom and sweeping up. <laughs> he didn't quite trust me with the hammer. But it's when you work shoulder to shoulder with people that you get to see not only the values that they taught, but the values that they live out, the work ethic, the desire for excellence that it's caught and here, Paul actually critiques this church. He says, you have countless guides. You have lots of people telling you how to follow Jesus, but you have few spiritual parents. You have few people that actually have a level of spiritual maturity that's going to show you how to follow Jesus. And this critique is something that we actually experience today. That when we look out at, you know, at our world, we have access to more information about Jesus in the Bible than someone could read in their entire lives, in their entire life. But we are called to more than just information, but also to imitation. So what we need is not always more information, but what we actually need is spiritually mature Christians, 
spiritual parents that are willing to disciple others in the gospel, to help teach them not just what Jesus taught, but how to observe the lifestyle of Jesus. That to be a follower of Jesus is not something we do in isolation. It can't just be me and the Bible, that though that's important, that following Jesus is an invitation into a life in community and a life together. So to illustrate this, a few weeks ago, I was able to go on vacation with my family in Phoenix. And while we were on vacation, we went for this uh, great hike. And it was something that was supposed to be a family hike. But the problem was that we all go at different paces. And so something that was intended to be done in you know, community as a family just ended up as a bunch of us individuals running up the mountain as fast as we can. And then as you get up to the second part of the mountain, it turns into a bit of a scramble. You're kind of climbing up rocks, and you get to the top. And I remember you get to the very top of this mountain. You look up. You have this amazing view of Phoenix. And you're just admiring it. And then all of a sudden, I kind of look, and you see this, like, cloud in the distance. It looks very dark. And you can just see the rain coming down. And you're like, wow, that's sure raining pretty hard. And then you kind of look back at it. And you're like, that's coming this way. <laughs> oh, no. And so we realized that this rain is coming straight for us. And so we're like, all right, that's it. We're going. And so we start running. I'm like, that's it. Okay, everyone back down, back down. My poor dad, he finally gets to the top of the mountain. We're like, the rain is coming. The rain is coming. Back down, back down. He's like, I just made it. And so we all run as individuals back down this mountain. And you got the wind and the rain hitting against you. And you kind of have these steep sections. You think, man, if I fall, is anybody going to notice? Maybe for you, you can relate to that in your spiritual journey. That following Jesus is something we are designed to do together, and yet it's turned into something that you try and do on your own. And then when the rains hit, when challenges hit, you think, is anyone going to notice if I don't make it? We are called to be a part of a spiritual family, that we get to walk and do this together. That discipleship is something that happens in the everyday stuff of life. Uh, back in Burnaby, where I was before I uh, came to Edmonton, I had a mentor uh, who really showed me what it looked like to be a disciple in everyday life. And I recently moved from the Fraser Valley to the city, and I was kind of by myself. And he invited me into his family. You know, he invited me to share meals with his family. He invited me to hang out with his kids to be part of their bedtime routine. He invited me to play sports with his non-Christian friends. That I was brought into all aspects of life, learning what, how he cherished being a follower of Jesus in every aspect of his life. And this is what discipleship looks like in everyday life. It's inviting others to be a part of our life as we learn to put Jesus at the center of everyday life. This is what it looks like to be followers of Jesus. And so I want to ask you the question, who are you imitating? Who are the spiritual parents or grandparents in your life? Who are the people that you are looking up to, that you are admiring, that their life is pointing you towards Jesus? At the same time, who are you inviting into your own life? Who are people that you're in some ways taking under your wing to try and point them towards Jesus? The discipleship happens when we walk shoulder to shoulder together. And so now as we come to our final points and beginning to wrap this up, 
I recognize that for many of us, we might have doubts approaching this. Am I qualified to invite others into my life? Well, let's hear the final words of the Apostle Paul. In verse, uh, verse 18, he says, Some are arrogant, as though I were not coming to you. But I will come to you soon, if the Lord wills. And I will find out not the talk of these arrogant people, but their power. Verse 20, For the kingdom of God does not consist in talk, but in power. Transformation occurs when we move from empty phrases to an empowered life. So like I said, there's this great invitation to invite people to follow you, to imitate you in your life as you follow Jesus. But maybe you're thinking, I don't know if I'm qualified for that. I don't know the right answers. I don't know what to say if someone has a difficult question. I don't even know if my life is worth following. I don't know if I have the capacity to do that. And here's the good news of the gospel. It's when we recognize our brokenness and our lack that Jesus can transform our lives. Earlier in this letter, Paul says this, and I want this to be a real encouragement for us. He says to this church in Corinth, For considering your calling, brothers or sisters, not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human might boast in the presence of God. That the qualification to be someone Inviting others into your life is not to be a person of eloquent speech to have all the answers, to, but, but to be a person who recognizes the need for the transformed life. That as Christ becomes formed in you, you get to invite people into that process. There was an author that says one of the greatest things a spiritual leader can give to the people that they lead is their transforming self. That when we recognize our lack, it's that we turn to Jesus and we see the gospel, the good news of Jesus, that though we cannot do it on our own, that Jesus did it on our behalf, and that it's through our life with Jesus that, as Paul talks about, that Christ becomes formed in us, that he renovates us from the inside out so that we can become people of love in this world. And this comes through a life of prayer. I was recently listening to a podcast um, by, and it included an interview of N.T. Wright, who's one of the most prolific New Testament scholars. And so he has spent his entire life, over 50 years, learning and teaching and researching about the Apostle Paul. And he said, you know, if Paul didn't become a Christian, we probably still would know about him. He was such an influential person. And so he says, what, and the interview asked him, what is the one thing that you take away from his life? You know, is it his writing? Is it his amazing uh, ministry, his evangelism, his spreading of all this? And N.T. Wright says, the one thing I take away from his life is that he was a person of prayer. He says, after studying for 50 years, this was a person that prayed. That that was the most important thing for Paul, 
that he actually spent time with Jesus, that he prayed, and that he prayed for his communities. That you see, even we talked about, he was in anguish of childbirth, that Christ would be formed in him. That there's such an overflow of his life of prayer, that he cared about the others in his community. And this is the call for us as well. That to be a community that transforms, involves being a community of prayer. And so every week we have this altar prayer on the sides and for some of us, maybe you think, oh, we only go there if there's a crisis in our life. And yes, that's a good place. But it's actually a recognition that we all need prayer every week. That we need the community of God to come around one another, to actually lift each other up. And this is what it looks like to be this community that draws each other towards Christ. To be a people of prayer, because we recognize that we cannot change hearts on our own. That we actually need God at work in us. Christ formed in us. So as we wrap up, I'm just going to pray for us uh, as a people, as we look towards being these, uh, living a transformed life, to be people of love. But after I finish and we are dismissed and we can go get soup, I encourage you, if if you are in need of this power to live this new type of life, that we are going to have people here and that we can have spend time to, to come and pray and to be encouraged by one another as we move towards Christ, becoming people of prayer. So let me pray for us. Father, we come before you, and we just recognize our need. That as we look at this world that can seem broken, we also recognize the brokenness that lives within us that our lives do not always reflect what they should. And yet we feel powerless at points. But we are just reminded that you have called us to be people of a transformed life. So Jesus, I just pray for us as a church here, for the people in this room, that you would just, by your spirit, empower us. That we could be people dependent upon you. That as you move and transform our lives, that we can be people that look out into our community and our world, inviting other people to follow us as we journey shoulder to shoulder following you. We love you, Lord, in your name. Amen. Hey, and welcome back. Thanks for listening to this Sunday's message. We hope that we've helped you in your spiritual journey and that you're drawing closer to God. At Crosspoint, we gather on Sundays at 10 a.m. in Northeast Edmonton and throughout the week in something we love to call home groups. Home groups are encouraging and transformational communities for people just like you. We believe that the journey of faith is done together. So we hope that you'll connect with us at thecrosspointchurch.ca. Now, let me remind you of who you are. You are the people of God, called by God into his redemptive mission in the world. So be who you are.